Sal Berry. It's awesome, but again, I'm a hockey junkie, so what can I say? And Tim Parrish. He's going to remember for arguably the save of the year. He's going to go down as being knighted. If Canada does that, he probably should. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I am Sal Barry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about hockey and more hockey. Specifically, we are going to talk about the three ice championship tournament that took place on Saturday. We're also going to talk about the World Junior Championship medal round that also took place on Saturday. So Saturday was just wall-to-wall hockey action. To quote the late, great Bob Johnson, it was a great day for hockey. Man, I mean, I just sat down that afternoon in front of my TV and just did not budge for like six, seven hours or whatever. Tim, how about you, man? Did you get a chance to watch any of the games? Uh, I did. I watched the entire three ice tournament. Well, why don't we start with that? Because I know you've actually been more diligent about watching three ice than I have. I've pretty much watched it like every other week. You've been pretty much on top of that from the get-go. I did watch the tournament, of course. I wasn't going to miss that. I was pleasantly surprised that it was on CBS and not CBS Sports, which is fine. I think it was great that all the games were televised. All Each week was televised. But, like, I'm going through CBS Sports, and I'm like, cornhole, cornhole. Wait, they're going to televise cornhole all day? This is ridiculous. And then I went on the website, and it's – Oh, it's on CBS. Well, that's a freaking coup right there, you know? Like, wow. For the league to be in its first season and here its championship is on CBS, I was, like, super impressed. Yeah, well, CBS Sports, to me, on my TV, seems like it's ESPN The Ocho, just Mm -hmm. CBS version, because it's always ridiculous sports all the time. But, yeah, so, yeah, it was on CBS. What a great tournament. I mean, this, this whole season, it's been it's been awesome. It's been great hockey. You know, they build this as the best part of hockey, and that's really what it is. Three on three, open ice, fast-paced. These guys can skate, and many of them have stick-handling abilities that are, that are quite ridiculous. You know, this last tournament this week in Vegas was, you know, the championship round, and it didn't disappoint, that's for sure. Well, first of all, we thought that Team Mullen was probably going to walk away with this trophy, and they didn't. Yeah, when we talked about it before, Team Mullen, is, they've been the stack team for most of the season with most of the top goal scorers in the league. They've won out multiple weeks. Yeah, I don't want to say they were a shoe-in to pull it off, but they were the dominant team, let's put it that way. Well, when you score a lot of goals in any hockey game, you're going to win. But when, you know, this, it's it's really even more so about scoring. I mean, the thing is, when you For play as many part. games as they did, you're going to score more goals, obviously. So that's a little well, lopsided because it's based off of how many games and the teams that win play more games because you're going to play all the way through. And if you win the whole thing, you ended up playing the first game, the second game, and the final game. Right. So you get all the extra games. So when it boiled down to it, the top two teams – in the regular season, in the week-to-week battles, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Team Mullen and Team Trottier were the two teams in the finals, and that seemed fitting considering they were the two best teams throughout most of the tournament. So but, what's kind of funny, or not funny, but maybe fitting, I should say, so in the semifinals, you had Team Mullen beat Team Murphy 5-1, to one, 
and Team Trottier shut out Team Leclerc four to nothing. One Again, thing about Team Trottier, if you watched it throughout the season, they played defense. And a lot of these teams, you know, skated around and it was just like the best defense that they could play was a good offense or just play keep away kind of. Team Trottier actually had a really good defensive play to their game. And he even said numerous times when they would talk uh, on the bench, you know, about strategy and everything else. He even said they have to play a defensive game because they may not be the best goal scoring team. So they got to keep pucks out of the net and help their goaltender out. And so that's kind of what they did to get to where they were. And that game like showed, you know, guys were blocking shots. Guys were just, you know, getting in and, and chipping away. It was definitely different to see considering how most of the tournament has gone up to this point. So now in that championship game, so the score to that was team Trottier uh, scored four, team Mullen scored three, but I don't feel the game was as close as the score indicates because for like the first half of that game, I mean, Team Trottier just really overwhelmed Team Mullen. I mean, they just smothered them. I mean, they had possession of the puck. Team Mullen could not get out of their zone. They could not get the puck. They could not get the chances. I mean, that was the thing. I was thinking this might be a one to nothing win. That's how close to the vest, so to speak, that they played. It wasn't like, all right, we're going to blow them out eight to six or eight to seven. It was like, we're going to smother them and we're going to wait for our opportunities. And that's what they did. Yeah, and you can see when you have a team with a lot of speed and a lot of finesse, if you keep the puck away and you, you know, there's no checking necessarily involved, no body checking, but if you can stick check, which they did, you're not going to score if you don't have the puck. So, you know, it's definitely a great strategy that Team Trachia used to kind of neutralize the teams that put up a lot of points. I was really impressed with that. There was also in the semifinal games, we actually had a couple of game ejections, which I've never seen in three ice before. No, and it was interesting. So it was the second game of the semifinal, basically the second game of the day. And you had Team Trottier versus Team Leclerc, which you already said they won 4 nothing. Basically, TJ Hensick and Bobby Farnham both former NHLers kind of got into it, sort of. Yeah. Farnham laid a check on Hensick, and it was a body check. Like, it was full on, uh, which right there drew the penalty, and it was already going to be a penalty shot because there's no penalties in the box or anything. And it, since there's no body checking allowed, there was question as to what was going to go on from there. And then Hensick turned around, and Farnham was standing there, and Hensick got, like, right up in his face and basically blasted him I thought he was going to take his head off the way he hit him. Yeah, it was he pretty hit vicious. Hard. He hit yeah. him hard. But both the guys, both guys got ejected and tossed out of the game. But, I mean, obviously, you know, right after that, the consolation game was played and Hensick was back on the ice playing for Team LeClaire um, against Team Murphy in the consolation game. And then Farnham was on Team Trottier in the final. So they were only really kicked out for that remaining couple minutes of the second period of that game. So that was probably the biggest hit I think I've seen throughout the tournament. Well, there's no hitting because there's no body checking and guys bump and grind and stuff like that, but there's no real like knocking the crap out of each other, like in the NHL. Yeah. 
And I'm okay with that because I like, you know, the wide open style of play, the high scoring. Like we said before, like the checking and stuff like that. I mean, that slows down scoring and that's okay for NHL style hockey. But for this, I mean, this is run and gun. This is run, gun and fun. It is. And, you know, for me who likes defensive games, you know, I was wondering how I was going to fair being a fan and enjoying watching it and i i have to say i am pleasantly surprised because it has been just extremely fun to watch extremely fun extremely entertaining so you know a couple other notes joe whitney got to wear the gold helmet for last weekend for being the, the leading goal scorer at that point what do you think about that about like highlighting the one player making him stand out a little bit I think it's cool because it gets to be passed around if if whoever's in the lead changes on a week-to-week basis. So um, I think it's kind of cool, and it definitely highlights the player. It's, it's certainly a talking point if you've never watched it before, and then you turn it on and you're like, why does that guy have a gold helmet and nobody else does? So it gets you to pay a little more attention to the skill of the guys that are wearing the gold helmet. And Joe Whitney is definitely a player that's, worth taking a look at guy was a scoring machine a couple weeks back there was that uh, really nice goal i'll I'll put a link to it in the comments uh by uh brandon hawkins that lacrosse style goal on the penalty shot did you see that yes that was freaking cool i mean that made the espn sports center top 10 plays for july 2nd or on their july 2nd show i mean so here i mean even though we joke about the ocho and stuff like that three ice even broke through to espn who has their international television rights by the way but broke through on sports center as like the top play which is pretty freaking cool if you think about it. I mean, we've talked about Trevor Zegers' goal and stuff like that, or whenever there's a really cool goal that scored, a really impressive trick goal or whatever. But that seems to kind of just be among hockey fans. And maybe, like, sometimes it gets a little bit of outside press. But here, it's cool to see Three Ice get that kind of outside press from ESPN about something cool that happened in one of their games. Well, the other thing, too, about Brandon Hawkins, I mean, this wasn't just like some rando guy that just scored a goal. I mean, Brandon Hawkins was one of the top scorers in three ice. I mean, the guy averaged over a point a game. You know, you can look at the overall stats, and yeah, there's a few guys ahead of him, but they didn't play anywhere close to as many games. Hawkins played in 19 games, and he was like a 1.1 for points per game. That was basically the highest in the league for anybody that played a substantial amount of games. And at most, like Joe Whitney, who led for the week, uh, led a couple weeks, actually. And he, he played in 23 games. So mm-hmm. Hawkins only was a few games behind him, and that's only because Team Mullen almost won every week. So Right. So, yeah, it's not like Brandon Hawkins was any kind of slouch. He's one of the top players in the league. So That's uh, a top player scoring a top goal. So Right, of course. Makes it and, a lot more entertaining. You know, guys like him and John Schiavo and TJ Hensick and Tim Kaufman and Joe Whitney, those are all guys that, you know, scored some really nice goals and can score pretty much at will. There's some NHL pedigree to some of those guys, so they do have that experience. But at the same time, you know, this is like a totally different animal. So to see guys like that excel in this is kind of cool. 
so, you know, of course, so you said Joe Whitney is one to watch. And it would be kind of cool if some of these guys did get a shot in the NHL or a second shot in the NHL because they're proving that they have the wheels and the stamina. Three on three, of course, there's more space. So that gives you more room for creativity. I don't think that would be unheard of. You know, now I'm going to like pull something from 20, 30 years ago because that's what Sal does. But I think back to Roller Hockey International and you actually had guys that played in RHI who made it to the NHL. That actually kind of put them on the map. It got scouts' attention and they said, okay, this guy did pretty good in the RHI and then they'd get an NHL tryout or something like that and, and they'd make it. So It'd be kind of cool to see that happen. It doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility at all. I'm excited about the next season. I heard they might expand to 10 teams. Yeah, the idea was to expand. And, you know, if you remember when Craig Patrick was on our show, that's one of the things he talked about was one of their objectives and their goals down the road was to expand the league, possibly have European expansion, possibly add a couple extra teams. And definitely starting up their youth program, which will be cool. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I meant expand to 10 weeks is what I meant to say. Oh, like a longer season? A longer season. Yeah, that was it. I'm sorry. I was reading. uh, I'll link to this also in the comments. There was this very long article on ESPN.com about Three Ice. It was written a couple days before the tournament took place. So it doesn't have any info about that. But it just basically gave a very good overview of, you know, how three ice was started and some of the ups and downs and, you know, some of the the things that have been working really well for the league and stuff like that. So one thing they talked about is like, if they play week one in Pittsburgh, then they'll play week six in Pittsburgh. And if they play week two in Vegas, they'll play week seven in Vegas. Although I think starting and ending in Vegas was pretty cool, but you know what I mean? Like they'll visit some cities twice to try to get like some sort of a following or some sort of like repeat customers, if you will. Was that Wyshynski's article? Yes. I think I read that. Yeah, it's a good article. It was more like kind of overview type stuff, I think, which a lot of it we already knew because we've been covering it since we first heard heard about it. So Right. I was going to say, what did you think of the trophy? Oh, uh, the, the Patrick Cup. Yeah. 63-pound Patrick Cup. Yeah, so you have like the Stanley Cup is this giant mammoth cup but it's like 35 pounds right you have the patrick cup it's like double that in weight it's smaller obviously but you can clearly see when guys were trying to pick it up it took a couple guys to handle the thing so it's, yeah it's quite burdensome as far as picking it up so i i was like expecting guys to grab it and like go skate around the ice like they do at the stanley cup but right. nobody seemed to want to do that because no. it weighed so much yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. Why they have this cut way so much? It was because they needed to have it made in time for the final game. I guess the base is made out of porcelain, which added weight to it. And they wanted it to not be that heavy, but then it would have taken longer for them to make the trophy. So their option was to make a heavier trophy and have it delivered on time. So that's what they went with. I see. Yeah. Going back to the first season of the World Hockey Association, you remember that trophy was called the Avco World Cup? Yeah. But that actually wasn't ready for the final 
game of its inaugural season for the championship game. So the team that won, they just ended up skating around with the regular season winner trophy that they won. <laughs> like, okay, we don't have our trophy for winning the league championship, so we're going to skate around with the regular season championship trophy because we got to skate around with something and, and we don't have this trophy ready. So that was just kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have something for them to have. So yeah. So they went with the heavier trophy, even if it took two or three guys to lift it. I just thought it was funny because on their website initially, when they talked about, you know, here's the trophy, this is what they're going to win, you know, and at the end, I think they said something like, we can't wait for the day that the patty is hoisted by the champions. And I'm thinking, no one hoisted it because they couldn't lift it. Yeah, you need a pulley and a lever and some lifting was, straps. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. Ironic funny, but yeah. Did you see they gave out the awards at the end too? They cut it off on the broadcast, so you didn't get to see it. Yeah, but. and so I didn't find out about that until to, until later, like when I looked on the website that they have like a Grand Fear Award and a Joey Mullen Award and all these different awards for players. Yeah, they had the coach of the year, which was named after Eddie Johnston. They had the uh, goalie of the year. It was the Grant Fear Award. Defensive player was the Larry Murphy Award. Plus minus was the John LeClaire Award. So, like, pretty much each one is named after strong areas of the various team coaches. Right. Joey Mullen won coach of the year. Jeremy Brodeur got the goaltender of the year with the Fuhrer. Grant Fear, goalie of the year. The Larry Murphy defensive player went to Patrick Mullen, who ironically is Joey Mullen's son. Um, ironic for, or coincidentally? Also played for his team. So I don't know if there were rules like Little League where you have to take your own kid on your team. The John LeClaire plus minus award was given to Joe Whitney. So that was kind of obvious that that's who that was going to go to. Chad Costello got league MVP, so that's the Brian Trottier league MVP award. The Joey Mullen top scorer award also went to Joe Whitten. The uh, Carboneau playoff MVP went to Parker Milner, who's a great goaltender. That guy was taking shots all over the place and making some pretty fantastic saves for Team Trottier. Well, yeah, and I mean, he, he did get a shutout in that first game. Yeah. So, again, that's impressive for a league like this that prioritizes scoring. But, I mean, again, that was Team Trottier's mission was to play good two-way hockey and be defensive when they have to be. And like you said, block shots and do all the things and play keep away. And like I said, they just just smothered the other teams. I was really impressed by them. Other than that plus-minus award and the top scorer award, all the rest of them, I think, are voted on by fans, 100% Hmm. by fans. I think that's what the original plan was. I don't know if mm. it still ended up that way, but you could go um, and vote and you know pick who who your favorite was for each of those each of those awards. So I thought that was pretty cool. Like I said, it's very entertaining. I enjoyed watching it. I think it's going to be fun to see how it evolves next year. See if maybe they bring more teams in. See if the coaches stay the same. See how that works. If the players stay the same on the same teams. That'll be interesting. I think they'll have to mix up the teams a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what the background to that is, whether these teams are like legacy teams and they stay the same, like these guys have contracts or something to play on specific teams. Well, no, because 
there were like uh, taxi squad players that played on different teams if a player was hurt or sick or something. So there were, there, and it was like a league wide taxi squad. You could cherry pick the guys off of that if you needed them. So this is almost like this is almost like a house league, basically. And I'm not I'm not trying to sound like I'm I'm dissing three eyes, but it, it's kind of like house league because they they all had the same logo but like different colors. Like the jerseys were different colors, but it was like the same logo, the same design of the jersey, and then the way they they all kind of have like the same pool of sub players that they could pull from. Again, not to go back to like beer league or house league or whatever, but sometimes what teams will do is they'll kind of like have it where like keep half the guys and then the other half go back into the draft pool. So like you keep your best players, but then you kind of mix up the other players a little bit, or maybe you protect, what is it? You have six skaters and a goalie. So maybe you get to protect your top two or three players and then the other three kind of go back into the mix. And then you let like the worst team pick first. Actually, I think that's what I would do. Every team gets to protect three players and then everybody else goes back into the pool, and then you have the worst team pick. Would you say protect one goalie and two skaters, or any combination of three? I mean, some goalies were better than the others, but I don't think goaltending was necessarily the issue so much. Well, it's definitely not the selling point for this, that's for sure. Well, no, but I mean, Team Mullen won as much as it did because they just were able to overpower other teams, not necessarily because the other teams had inferior goaltending to them, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to look at the, the amount of shots that these goalies are, are taking. During the tournament for Team Murphy, Eamon McAdam was, like, making some crazy acrobatic saves. The guy looked like he could compete with any NHL goaltender that's out there. Yet, he had 60 goals against, led the league in most goals against for the whole entirety of the season. So, I mean, again, you're facing a ton of shots. And, yeah, you're not facing 30, 35 shots a game over 60 minutes, but you're facing a ton of shots in 16 minutes. So it's relative. Definitely goaltending is not the feature here, but... You know, having some name-type players in there and guys that can play decently, like McAdam or Parker Milner or Blake Wyrick seems like a pretty good goaltender. You know, obviously Jeremy Brodeur showed some pretty good signs of being a decent goaltender, although he didn't play in that many games. I hope they bring back the announcing team. Oh, yeah. That would be nice. I mean... Yeah, I'm a homer when it comes to that. And having Steve Mears and Bob Airy doing color and play-by-play was was really nice. You know, having Gizmo down on the ice was kind of cool, too. It'll be interesting to see if they bring these guys back. I think with the Pittsburgh connection, considering most of the coaches and Craig Patrick, I mm-hmm. think it's a good chance that you'll see Mearsy and Bob Airy back. Well, I hope so, because they, they were always entertaining to listen to. I think that goes a long way in selling a game. Especially in those last couple games. Listening to Steve Mears make some of those calls. I mean, he was so, so excited. I mean, he was like going out of his mind. Not quite as excited as the Tampa Bay announcers, but still pretty excited. 
It was fun. Well, can't wait till next season. As for the World Junior Championships, which this is a reschedule because it was supposed to take place in December and January, it was canceled due to COVID. Basically, COVID making teams have to forfeit. And after, like, I think the fourth day of the tournament, they're like, okay, this is ridiculous. We're going to try it in the summer. And they did. But then we're going to have another WJC, like, right, just in a couple of months in December. So first I'll say this. I liked having this as a summer tournament. I know that's not going to work for, like, a million reasons because, you know, everybody associates this with a Christmas time tournament. And if you looked at how empty the rinks were, having this in the summer, the World Junior Championship, not even the gold medal game was sold out. Not even the, the arena was full for that. And, you know, Canada was one of the teams in that. I love summer hockey. I liked it being in the summer. I feel like there's too much going on in the wintertime already. I mean, you got the NHL going on, and then it's Christmas, and then this is just kind of a selfish thing with me. But I always start teaching again, like, almost immediately after New Year. So I can't watch a game on January 2nd or January 3rd. I mean, I remember one time they had the Winter Classic on, like, January 2nd or January 3rd, and I couldn't watch that because I had to go teach. I was, like, so annoyed that, like... You know, oh, this is going on. So it's just like, oh, the gold medal game is at noon on Tuesday, and I have a class at that time, so I couldn't watch it. So I kind of liked it being this late summer tournament, and I was able to actually watch as many games as I wanted to. So just wanted to get that little editorialization out of the way up front that I liked it being a summer tourney. Most people probably didn't, but I'm just glad that I was able to watch as much of it as I could. Look, you're not competing with anything. Right. So other than the three ice, which is different. But as far as, you know, full-on competition type hockey, you know, you don't have to compete with actually NHL going on at the same time or anything else. So I think a lot of people enjoyed having it over the summer, especially hockey fans that don't really watch other sports. Right. Definitely gave you something to tune into. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was must-watch TV. Even if I couldn't watch it, I just had it on in the background. You know, even if it was like Germany and Austria or whatever, you know, I'd watch or at least listen to the games. I think we were all a little shocked and surprised that Team USA choked in the quarterfinals. You had United States and Canada basically cruise their way to first-place berths in their respective pools. But then in the quarterfinals, Czechia upset the United States 4-2. to two. I was kind of surprised. I think we were all surprised. I think we were expecting this to be another USA-Canada gold medal matchup. All signs were pointing to that as happening, but that's not what happened. And that was kind of, that was my death knell on watching the tournament for the most part. That's when you punched out. Yeah, because... You know, I was kind of excited to see potential for back-to-back, and I don't know. It's just, they had no answer for the Czechs. They just really didn't. The Czechs played a really good defensive game, and Team USA just couldn't figure it out. They just didn't have the ability to come up with an alternative to break through. It was rough. It was hard to watch. Going from watching, you know, 
three ice where it's just like up and down and this constant offensive production. Mm-hmm. Team USA had like no offensive pressure at all in that game. Was it an upset? Yes. If you just look at it just as what it is, that game, it definitely wasn't an upset because the better team won in that game. Right. But Czechia couldn't replicate that magic against Canada. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it takes a miracle to beat the U.S. or Canada, but maybe you don't get two miracles in the same tournament, right? I don't know, unless you're Russia or Finland, because, I mean, those teams, not that Russia was in this, which actually made it kind of interesting. A couple interesting things here. So there was no Russia in the tournament, and Russia's always a team that can challenge for this. But then the other thing is that you had a lot of guys who turned pro. So then that kind of depleted some of the rosters of the talent that they would have had, because... You had players basically saying, no, I got an NHL training camp next month. I don't want to pull a Kirby Doc and go to the tournament and get hurt and then miss four months of the season like Kirby Doc did a couple years back. Although Mason McTavish was able to convince the Ducks to let him play in the uh, in the tournament. So McTavish played nine games for the Ducks last season He was on the Team Canada roster for the summer tournament. He was the team captain, and he basically won every award he could. I mean, first of all, he led the tournament in scoring. He had eight goals, nine assists for 17 points. He almost tied the record for points in a tournament shared by Dale McCourt and Braden Shen. Dale McCourt did it in 1977. Braden Shen in 2011, so he didn't quite reach there, but 17 points, eight goals and nine assists in the tournament. He had four goals in a game against Slovakia, and you might say, well, okay, that's Slovakia. That's not entirely fair. Well, as we've said before, guess what? Great players have to do great in all the games. Of course, you expect a player like that to get four goals in maybe a game that's going to be a little bit easier, but then he also got goals in the games that were harder, too. You know what I mean? You can't tell players to not score, right? He led the tournament in scoring. He was named to the media all-star team. He won the IIHF Directorate Award as the best forward, and then he was named the most valuable player. So he basically won every award that he could in this tournament. Yeah, and what is he going to be remembered for the most of all that offense? None of it. He's going to remember for the defense and arguably the save of the year Definitely of the tournament, probably of the century. And he's going to go down as being knighted in Canadian history because of that. If Canada does that, if they knight people, they probably should. No, Um, they have the Order of Canada. Okay, well, then he should. Yeah, well, then he should be automatically put into the Order of Canada. Right. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how that works, but good Lord. That was ridiculous. That save. I've seen it like a hundred times and it still blows my mind how he was able to just snipe that out of the air, knock it down and then just wipe it out of the goal crease. That was ridiculous. Cause that was game. That was like game over right there. Yeah. That was in the three on three. Yeah. That was in the overtime. I mean, and the fact that they turned around and went back down the ice and scored after that, but it just blows my mind. Well, let's talk about that Finnish team for a minute because they shut out Sweden one to nothing in the semifinals, which is pretty damn impressive. I mean, when you get a one nothing shutout, that is some tight hockey right there. 
and then it looked like Canada was going to win, like get an easy win, and then Finland battled back, and they tied it, and they forced overtime. Yes, they say when you, you don't win a silver medal, you lose a gold medal, and the silver is a consolation prize, but damn it, I'll say they earned that silver medal. I mean, they fought hard and to the end. You know, I would have been disappointed if Finland lost 2 nothing in the gold medal game. I would have been disappointed. I like games like this that could go either way that are this close because that's what you want to see. That's what you want to see in a tournament like this, right? Nobody wants to see a 5 nothing gold medal game unless maybe your team is scoring the five I was going to say, you, you do if it's your team. Yeah, but isn't it better if it's a 5-4 game than a 5 nothing game? It depends. If you like tight defense, then yeah, sure. If you don't, and you just want to see guys blow the doors off of the place, then maybe not. All right, so let's talk about that for a minute. Because one thing that I put out on Twitter is that I said, you know, this tournament should really be six teams. There are six teams that should be in this tournament and the other four just I get they want to have five teams in pool A and five teams in pool B but this really could just be a six team tournament the other four teams are just kind of there don't you think when you have you know Switzerland losing seven to one or you have Slovakia losing 11 to one or you have teams like Austria or Latvia I understand your point I understand what you're saying there I mean, I think I read something like the last 10 World Juniors have been won by only three countries. So, yeah, you talk about how there isn't parity, but I would also argue that this is the time and place for you to showcase other teams and try to help expand the game and grow the game, uh, especially at the younger level. I mean, yeah, we're going to go into this tournament every year and you're going to say, Canada and U.S., and who else? I mean, you're going to do the same thing in the women's tournament, only even more so. Canada, U.S., and who else? Because everybody else is playing for bronze, right? So, yeah, the Finnish team wasn't that strong. The Czechia team kind of surprised some people. The Swedish team is generally a strong team. You know, Germany's been hot and cold. You know, sometimes they're really good, sometimes not so much. So there is opportunities for many of these other teams to kind of make a name for themselves and be that other team. And it doesn't always have to be the U.S. It doesn't always have to be Canada, although it mostly is, but it doesn't always have to be. Is U.S. and Canada going to be the strongest in most of these tournaments? Of course they are. Where's the hockey game? You know, the NHL, it's North America. You know, that's what everybody strives to become and be an NHL player and get to the big show and get to the best league in the world. Not to say that there isn't pro hockey elsewhere, because there is. We all know there is. But it's definitely not NHL level. And, yeah, these are the junior kids, but these are also kids that have gone up through those programs. You know, they've been built through those programs in the United States, playing on those junior teams, playing through the U.S. development program playing up into the OHL and, and the Q and, and that kind of thing. So they're being groomed with that NHL pedigree from an early age onward. Yeah, you do have development elsewhere, but you don't have that level of development, I think, in some of these other places. But you could. This, I think, helps grow the game by putting more exposure 
hey, did you know there's a Latvian team? I didn't know that. Let's check them out. You know, hey, did you know that Germany's pretty good this year? I didn't know that. Let's check them out. Boy, you know, who's so. going to say that, though? Fans of the tournament. Do fans of the fans tournament of, really want to watch an 11 nothing blowout? I'd watch these other teams. I'm not watching them like, for instance, the Finland-Latvia game that I saw. I think it was in like the Group A yeah, qualifying. It was like 6-1 to one or something six like to one, that. Yeah. U.S. versus Germany was 5-1. to one. Yes. Yeah, okay, fine. Canada versus Slovakia, 11-1. to one. I, I get it. I get it. But you're not always going to have that. Like you said, you had a one nothing game between Sweden and Finland. one nothing. Right, but that Finland was Sweden made it into the Finland. final. Right. Okay, here's Team Canada. Team Canada only put up three goals versus Finland. They only won three to two, and it took them to overtime. So they're a top team. You know, would you have seen the same thing from maybe the Czech team? Let me just say, because I should have said this from the get-go. These are the teams I would keep. These are the teams I would dump. Keep Canada, USA, Sweden, Finland, Czechia, and Slovakia, unless Russia's playing. Then dump Slovakia, put in Russia. Dump Switzerland, Latvia, Austria, Germany. That's just me saying pare it down to six really good teams. Or heck. Seven teams, if you want to have Russia and Slovakia, make it a round robin, and then you take the top four, you know, kind of like a Canada Cup type thing. Of course, now the counter argument to that is, yes, you know what, when you have elite talent, we've seen a lot of elite talent come from all of these national teams, although the only recent example I could think of off the top of my head is Tim Stutzla of Team Germany. I remember in that 2021 World Junior Championship, uh, you had the German team was basically depleted by COVID. They were using their third string goalie, and I think they lost something like 13 to 1 or 13 2 to Canada. And guess who scored for Team Germany? Stutzla. Right, exactly. He was the one bright point. Okay, I said, wow, this team is getting just their asses handed to them. And what did he do? He set up. He he looked like an NHLer. He knew where to go. He knew what to do. And even though it was like insurmountable odds, he still chipped in a couple. So you need to give players like that an opportunity to compete at the highest level. And we are seeing more German players and more Latvian players and definitely more Slovakian players and, you know, more Austrian players. Not as many, but I mean, we're seeing them filter into the NHL a little more now than we were 20, 30 years ago. But again, I feel like, okay, great. You have Latvia and Austria playing against each other and nobody's going to buy a ticket to it unless the game is in Latvia or Austria. And that was the other thing, like, me having my teaching schedule and watching all these games on TV. And I was like, man, if I was in Edmonton, I'd so be there watching Latvia and Austria or, or whomever, whatever two teams play at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon, I would be so there, you know, because it's awesome. But again, I'm a hockey junkie. So what can I say? If you wipe the fodder from the tournament, now you're going to have all the heavyweights just playing through a slugfest for a couple rounds before they even get into the actual tournament. All killer, no filler. I don't know if I'd want to see it. Here's the other thing, too. Are are we just talking World Junior here? Yeah, we're just talking World Junior. 
So like the Olympics, we can still have all those teams. Well, yeah, I mean, the host country has to have a team, i.e. China. Oh, I'm just saying, are we talking all international play here or just for this tournament? Or do we make it like there's a pre-tournament and you have to score so many points in the pre-tournament in order to qualify and all those other teams, if you don't, you're relegated to whatever. Maybe we do the seven teams. Like, let's just pretend that things get better with Russia and they're allowed back into the tournament. Then you would need an eighth team. So then you could take Switzerland, Latvia, Austria, and Germany and be like, okay, the winner of U4 get to go and be the eighth team in the World Junior Championships. Just an idea, like having a play-in. Yeah, I could maybe see it done that way. I don't necessarily think that it'd be a wise decision just to wipe them out. Because you never know when there'll be that one sleeper team. I mean, look, when you do your NCAA brackets every year, do you ever pick any 15s or 15 seeds? Or 16 oh, seeds? You're talking seeds? to a guy who could care as little <clears throat> about college basketball as, as they come. Yeah, I know plenty of people that don't even watch it, but they'll at least do a bracket because it's fun. I'm just saying, you know, there's always potential for an upset there. Yeah, the talent isn't there. I get it. You're talking about watering down the whole tournament by letting these teams stay. I get it. I just don't know that that's the best choice, at least for me. But I can certainly see the argument, and I've heard plenty of people make it. You have 10 teams. You have in the preliminary rounds, you know, USA plays against four other teams. Okay, great. So they get four games. You could still do that if you had six teams. You would just basically have one pool, and then you'd play five games instead of four games preliminary round robin or whatever yeah i mean that would be with six teams i know that eliminates the number of games that can be played but i mean come on who's coming to these games against two teams that nobody wants to watch their parents look i'm not trying to i'm not trying to diss them but what i'm saying is here let me, no, let me I, know, I know what you're saying i know exactly what you're saying Slovakia and Latvia. Know what you're saying. okay what do you think the attendance was to that on August 12th? I don't know, but Slovakia won 3-2. No, no idea. Probably still more than our be at the Arizona Coyote games next year. Not necessarily. I don't know if you watched the bronze medal game, but there was not a lot of people in the stands for that. It looked like a COVID-era game. I mean, there were really not a lot of people there. Well, it's because it's a, it's a home game. Sweden everybody and, wanted, everybody was waiting for the Czechia, game. Right. Did you see, um, not to change the subject or anything, but no, did fine. you did you notice that the goaltender that beat Team USA, uh, Tomas Suchanik, did you notice the irony of him wearing his Tri-City Americans mask? Yeah, that was kind of funny, actually. Yeah. So Team Czechia beat Team USA while wearing a Americans mask. I thought that was the pure definition of irony right there. You know, that's just another thing I love about hockey and hockey goalies is that they can do whatever they want with their mask, and they do. And if they want to wear a mask that clashes with their uniform, they do. And if they want to wear one that looks awesome with their uniform, they do. You know, then I think of, like, how catchers in baseball tried doing that when they switched to the HSM, the hockey-style mask, which was patterned after a goalie mask. And it was like, oh, that's too distracting. To who? The batter who's got their back to the catcher? It's too distracting. <sighs> you know, like, oh, it's got to be in team colors. It's got to match. Oh, you can't have a logo on it. That's too that's too boisterous for baseball, right? And then in hockey, it's just like, eh, 
whatever, he plays for Tri-City and he's going to wear his Tri-City mask because it's comfortable and he becomes a conversation starter in the tournament and that's cool. Or they have some tricked out mask in their country's colors and that's awesome too. I mean, I will always remember Ray LeBlanc's Team USA mask that he wore in the 92 Olympics and then he wore it when he played his one game for the Chicago Blackhawks and he's wearing his USA mask. I mean, I'll always remember that. That stands out, but in a cool way. Speaking of always remembering, did you happen to catch the handshake line during the first semifinal game between uh, Canada and Czechia? Uh, don't recall. Brennan Othman going through the handshake line, and he gets up to uh, Michael. Is it Goot? I think is how you say his name. Goot. Yeah. Yeah. And they went to shake hands and. You see Othman lean in and say something to him, and Goot took offense to whatever he said. It like pushed him, and the referee skated over and had to like break him up. And so, you know, there was an interview with Othman after the game, and he's basically like, Goot didn't like the hits that he was getting in the first game, and he didn't like the checking that I was putting on players. And he responded by whacking him a little too, and you know, he didn't like it in the first game. He didn't like it in that game. And so then he makes the comment. He's like, if you can't play with the big boys, don't come out. He says that in the interview. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the guy that I think he's a, a Rangers prospect. Yep. Like this is exactly what the New York Rangers fans want to see. It's a guy like this. Look in the group a play game. I don't know if you saw like, the Canada check game for the group a play. Brennan was out there. He was hitting everything. He put a check on David Juracek. I thought he was going to knock the kid through the glass. If he wouldn't have went down to the ice, he was going into the boards and he was going to just shatter that glass. But, I mean, he was hitting everything that moved. It wasn't just that game. It was in all the games. So he's a big boy out there, and he's not afraid to knock people out. That's a good story. Hey, as we wrap this up, because we should talk a little bit about hockey cards because you you raised a good hypothetical question earlier. But I do want to say this, though, and I know that there's more than one young gun in Upper Deck Series 2. But if you think back to Series 1, everybody wanted Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegras. There were two young guns really to chase in that series. In Series 2, everybody was trying to get more cider because he won the Calder Trophy. I mean, of course, there's, you know... There's Lucas Raymond, there's Alex Newhook. I mean, there's some good other young players in Upper Deck Series 2, Young Guns. But Mason McTavish is in that. And even though he was a notable player before, I can only see this just make the demand for his Young Gun rise now, right? Oh, it's already through the roof. Right. And so that's the thing, though, is that like Series 1, a lot of people were trying to chase after a couple of Young Guns. Series two, it's like people wanted Moritz Sider's young gun because he won rookie of the year, but I didn't feel that same level of excitement because, frankly, he's a defenseman and people really want to chase after the forwards. They care more, like you said, about that Trevor Zegras goal, which was a really nice goal, but, you know, people will, oh my God, that guy scored a great goal. I want his rookie card. And then that's going to drive up the demand. And then you have a defenseman who wins rookie of the year and people are like, okay, he's rookie of the year, but... I didn't see that same amount of fervor for series two and my maybe uh, on the initial release. Yeah. Because everybody was going after, like you said, cider and Raymond 
and to a lesser extent, the Quentin Byfield or the um, Cole Sillinger. But yeah, now after the fact, now that you've, you know, the season's over, you've got other things going on. Mason McTavish cards, they're skyrocketing right now. Same with, you know, I've seen New Hooks cards go through the roof. I've seen Dawson Mercer. People are jumping mm-hmm. all over the Dawson Mercer card. Uh, what's his name from the Jets? Cole Perfetti. Cole Perfetti, yes. There's a lot of interest in, in Cole Perfetti now. So a lot of these guys, it takes a minute. So there's like that initial flash, like, here's your guy. And everybody goes after that guy. And then that dissipates and you're like, oh, but look who else is in here. Definitely makes for a bigger chase. And that's the whole thing of, do you go after all of them? Do you, do you hoard somebody? Do you prospect these guys? Do you sit on somebody because you like them really a lot? Because you think they're going to be, you know, the boom guys. But how many times do we see the boom guys end up being the bus guys too? Have you so, seen who's in extended? Not yet. The rest of the young guns in extended? Yeah. I'm not sure who's really carrying that set as far as the young guns go. I mean, Turcotte's in there. Alexander Holtz is in there. There's not a whole lot of other names that really jump off the page at me from that grouping. But again, who knows? Well, we'll talk about extended once I get my hands on some extended. But you raised a really good hypothetical question earlier when we were kicking around ideas for today's show. And you said, should they make World Junior Championship trading cards? And as longtime collectors will remember, they did make World Junior Championship trading cards. And I mean like a mainstream set. Now, you could go back to the early 80s. I mean, one of the crown jewels of my collection is that 1983 Team Canada World Junior postcard set. They're not really postcards. They don't have a little spot for the stamp. But they're postcard size, so people call them postcards. And it has, like, a card of, like, a 16-year-old Mario Lemieux and a 17-year-old Steve Iserman and just a ton of guys who made it to the NHL. Mike Vernon and Pat Verbeek and James Patrick, and I could go on and on. But then in the 90s, starting with the 90-91 season, Upper Deck would include World Junior Championship players in its hockey card set, usually in its high number set. They did that with Team Canada for its 1991 set, partially as an excuse to make a card of Eric Lindros that they could just kind of squeeze in there. But then they did the same thing in subsequent years, and they even included players from other teams, USA and Switzerland and Germany and Russia and the Czech Republic and so on and so forth. So this kind of became like a thing for a while. And then by the mid 90s, you had Tops were including World Junior Championship players in its sets like Tops Finest. And then Score was also including cards of World Junior Championship players, which to me is kind of hit or miss because you might say, okay, there's 50 guys of young hockey players who played in the tournament. But of those 50 guys, 30 of them are going to play in the NHL. And of those 30, maybe 10 of them are going to have like any careers that are noteworthy. And of those 10, maybe one goes on to be like a superstar or a legend, like a Jerome McGinlaw. So 
Don't forget anyway. Donruss did the same thing too. Donruss had a world championship set too. Yeah, they kind of had to open it up to everybody. Like Upper Deck no longer had the exclusive to that. I think because the IIHF was probably like, well, hey, why should we have one card company pay us when all the card companies will pay us? Because it became like this arms race of like, oh, we got to have a rookie card of these guys before anybody else does. Where, where Upper Deck would include like other countries. You know, the Donruss ones I remember were just U.S. and Canada. So there was like a U.S. set and a Canada set. And they were inserted in the backs, but you oh, know this. Oh yeah, this, I remember this, those now. Okay, Eric yeah. Daze was in that. I have yeah. like a like a handful of Eric Daze cards from that. Yeah, from that Daze case. was in there. Dead Marsh was in there. Dead Marsh, yeah. There's a ton of guys in there, but Upper Deck did the Tim Hortons World Junior set, mm-hmm. but it's just Team Canada, and it's kind of like a all-encompassing Team Canada set with the current guys and stars that had played before and the women's team and and everything else but again they were tim hortons so participating restaurants you got to get the packs there's a binder the whole deal and that was right when they canceled the tournament these came out but again that's just team canada and it's just released in canada i'm talking going back to like you were saying like an all-encompassing you don't have to make everybody just highlight a few of the you know, a few of the top players that come from each team, you know, for instance, Team Czechia, there could be a Michael Gut card, you know. Right. You know, that guy, he put up 71 points in 53 games last year for the silver tips in the WHL. But unfortunately, he signed on to be playing the whatever Czechia league there is. Right. But I mean, the guy was a scoring machine over here. Who wouldn't want to have a card like that, especially if you're a fan of international? I don't know what the logistics of it is. I'm well, sure here, I'll, I'll explain that to you. Because 30, 40 years ago, when there wasn't a lot of money in this, it was kind of like, ah, yeah, sure, whatever, right? Yeah, you want to make cards of our players, sure. You're going to give us a little money. Okay, that's great, right? Back when there wasn't a lot of money involved in this. So Upper Deck has the license with Team Canada, with Hockey Canada. So they could do that. They can picture players. Of course, they have like, you know, contracts with, you know, if it's a if it's a retired player like a Bobby Orr and they're going to picture Bobby Orr in like a Team Canada sweater, they get his rights. If it's like a current young player, you know, they probably sign some sort of rights with Hockey Canada for the current players, right? Like, I don't say their player association, but basically that. The problem is now with an international tournament is that you'd have to basically get the rights from all the governing bodies for each of those countries. So uh, USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, and then the equivalent in Sweden, Finland, Russia, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'd also, you might have to get uh, an IIHF license if you're showing photos. Well, maybe not if you're showing photos from the tournaments. I think if you have a picture of a player in a USA sweater, it doesn't matter if it's from a World Junior tournament or whatever. But if you're trying to make like a a World Junior Championship set, they'd probably have to be involved in it somehow. So now you're looking at licenses from how many teams? Ten teams, right? So how many hockey governing bodies? Ten. That's a lot of money. Oh, and the IIHF, that's 11. You couldn't just simply set up a deal with the IIHF to create something based on the tournament rather than based on the individual teams and have it covered. 
I'm sure if they plan this out a couple of years ahead of time, so that if they basically tell players, look, if you're going to be in this tournament, you're basically waiving your likeness rights for trading cards. I think there would be some blowback on that now. Whereas, again, 30 years ago, whatever. What, I, what I'm getting at, though, is think about it here. So not every player in the World Junior Tournament, how, how should I phrase this? They're every not all play, getting cards. Yeah, they're not all going to get cards, but also every player in that tournament is not an amateur, really, anymore at this point. Right. So you do have guys that are under NHL contracts, and if you have an NHL license already, that should cover that part of it? Yes, but... And showing somebody in a jersey, I mean, those jerseys aren't copyrighted by an overall organization unless the IIHF is the organization that covers it. Because can you copyright a flag? No. I mean, so if you just, they have their flag or their logo and it's the country logo, I could see a way around that maybe. But I was just spitballing because it's a logistical nightmare, but I think it would be cool to come up with something. Even if we did it, like going back to what you said, wipe out all the crappy teams and only keep the good teams and just make a set of the good teams. I've asked Upper Deck about this in the past. And I've said, what about cards for the Olympics? What about cards for the women's Olympics? What about cards for the world juniors, et cetera? And basically the consensus is it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time and effort and work for something that's very short-lived. I mean, we're talking about something that's only a couple of weeks long, whereas an NHL season is like nine months out of the year plus playoffs, right? So that has a longer shelf life versus like a two-week tournament or 10-day tournament to make the cards. Now, the thing about hockey cards in the 90s was that they were making the cards of the World Junior Championships after the fact and the incentive for that, the driving reason for that was here are rookie cards of a bunch of guys who might make it to the NHL one day and you should buy this set because, oh my God, look at all the rookie cards that are in it, right? Look at all these World Junior Championship players of guys from Germany and Slovakia and Switzerland, right? I mean, whatever, I'm I'm being facetious there, but you know, that was kind of like the reason. And now, if you could include these players in an NHL set, I think it would fly. But you can't. You can't do that anymore. The NHL sets have to have NHL players. I mean, imagine if there was a set that had NHL, AHL, and CHL players like they used to back in the day. Upper Deck's got the licenses to all of those. But there's no way that that would happen. Just like the NHL didn't like WHA players being included in their packs in 72-73 Opeachy, they wouldn't want to share that money. They wouldn't want to say, okay, well, the AHL gets a cut of these hockey cards because it pictures AHL players, or the IIHF gets a cut of Upper Deck Extended because that includes players from the World Junior Championships, which would be badass, by the way, to like kind of pad out that set. You want another 50 young guns? There you go. Just make it USA, Canada, Sweden, Finland, Czechia, and so forth. So that's kind of what it's like now. I don't know if I'd make them young guns, though. Call them something else. International superstars or something like that. Yeah, international idols or something. 
international icons. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, don't we'll work on that. Young guns, but it'd be something. All right. So, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? My thought is that's it. I don't have a thought. It disappeared. It's out of my brain. Gone into the ether. That's good. That means you got it all off your chest, at least for now. Till next week. Till next week. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell your friends. Please support this podcast by going to shop.puckjunk.com and buying one of the snazzy shirts that you see on that site. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.